Welcome back to the Branding for Abundance podcast. This is your host, Dr. TK. We have another epic guest on our podcast episode today. Her name is Amber Boyd. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist hailing all the way from Oakland, California. Now, she currently resides and practices in Houston, Texas. Amber has been conducting therapy for over 10 years, and she specializes in working with adult folks of color. Amber is a certified clinical trauma professional trained in emotionally focused therapy, also known as EFT, and she is also practicing EMDR, which mainly focuses on trauma while also taking a client-centered approach. The desire to combine experience of different isms known as micro and macro aggressions and acknowledging the minimization of one's experience has led Amber to open her own private practice, practice in two states, California and Texas, that supports each person to authentically work through healing entitled Healing Through Authenticity. Amber has recently expanded her practice into support groups for bariatric patients who are considering or have begun the bariatric surgery. So let's tune in for this epic podcast episode. Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. Hey, welcome everybody to the Branding for Abundance podcast where therapists deserve abundance. I am your host, Dr. TK, licensed clinical psychologist and number one therapist business coach. So I have another epic guest and awesome therapist, and I cannot wait for you to hear all the awesome things that she is doing online and with her mental health clients in her private practice business. And so I want to welcome Amber to the podcast today. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So everyone, um, as you have heard in the intro, Amber has been part of the Dope Therapist Academy community. She's been part of the Elite Coaching Mastermind community. And at the time of this recording, we're actually going to meet up actually for the first time, huh? Like, yes. <laughs> so we're going to meet up for the first time um, from two years, like July 2019 is when we first met. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. Um, so we'll meet for the first time because we have our graduation mastermind in November. So I'm super excited to meet with the therapist. So let's jump on into it. So can you introduce to the listeners and viewers your license type and where you're located right now? Yes. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm also trained in both emotionally focused therapy and in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is EMDR. Um, and I prefer to say EMDR. And I'm licensed in both states, in the states of California and Texas, nice. both telehealth. Yeah, so I, I want to get all up into that, but we, we got to <laughs> press rewind because I always love to hear how therapists, you know, how we end up in this field because it's always miraculous mm-hmm. stories sometimes. It's not just a straight shot. You come out the womb wanting to be a therapist. <laughs> so um, what made you want to get into this field? Like give us a little bit of background. Yeah, I think that um, my journey to therapy was very much not a straight and narrow. It was um, 
something that came to me via someone else that I really respected and admired. So just to give a little background, um, when I went to college, I went to the University of California, Berkeley, go Bears. And um, when I was there, I, I was planning to be a political science major. I didn't know what I was going to be doing in poli sci, but I was going to be doing political science. I took one political science class and was like, this is absolutely not going to happen. Um, So real quick. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely quit my first semester. Um, After that poli-sci one class where a professor sat on stage and read to us, like his, all of his lectures, I know, read all of his lectures. I was like, this is definitely not something I can see myself doing for uh, four years of my life. So um, I quit poli sci and then I was I was listless for a while, a little lost. And then I decided to take a sociology class mm-hmm. and I became a sociology major shortly after. And even with that, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do with that. And then I took a social psych class mm-hmm. and it was one of the most like epic classes that I took and I was trying to figure out how I can finagle having this sociology degree while also doing something in psych, especially too, because the psychology degree itself was a capped major. So you couldn't just get in. You had to like have all of these prerequisites. You had to do all of this extra labor. And I was like, not doing that. (laughs) <laughs> so I ended up staying in poli sci, I mean, not in poli sci, in sociology. And I was able to also uh, minor in education. And with that, I was able to go back to my high school um, because I was down the street. And I was able to intern and shadow my counselor. Oh, um, wow. And she had been my counselor since Ele- uh, not elementary, middle school. She was my principal at one point, then she became my counselor. And she was such a powerful force in my life. Like she really spoke life into me. And I was like, if I could be anything of what she's given me, then maybe this is the field I need to be thinking about, like school counseling. And she actually was also the person who uh, suggested that I apply to Berkeley. I didn't think that I was going to get in. I wasn't going to apply. I was like, it's too close to home. It's literally down the street. I, I don't think I'm going to get in. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I know you're going to get in. I need you to apply for this scholarship. I both got in and that scholarship. So she knew that she, her intuition was yeah. on point. And so I always give her her flowers. Mrs. Mary Augustine oh. will forever hold such a special place for me. And um, she was the one who also introduced to me marriage and family therapy. I hadn't even thought about it because I wasn't sure what it was. She was like, have you heard of uh, marriage and family therapy? I was like, no. She was like, I think that I know you want to do school counseling or that's something that's interesting to you. But I think you would be able to touch a broader audience if you went to MFT instead. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the process of starting to look at grad schools. And I applied to really one grad school because it didn't take a GRE. And uh-huh. that was Syracuse University. And I got in and the rest is history. Nice. You got to send her this episode so she can be like. <laughs> yeah, I emailed her not too long ago. And I just wanted, I told her, thank you so much. It had been on my heart to just express my gratitude to her. And she knows, she knows how I feel, but 
I needed to tell her because yeah. she just really lit the path for me. Yeah. Well, what it sounds like is that you had guided mentorship and you didn't know why these seeds were being planted, but there was a divine outcome (laughs) that was waiting for you. And one thing that I want to pull out that I love that she stated to you is like not putting a cap and reaching a broader audience because, you know, we have different listeners and viewers for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I get a lot of traction from grad students, especially with me being a professor. And one of the things that I think a lot of students take like a grain of salt because they're just so focused on what they what they think they want to do in the moment not their life will be in 10 years is that what your interests are now it may not be your interest like 15 years from now oh different yeah so So different (laughs) right and so I remember having a professor she um she was older um she was in my doctoral program and she told us that when she started having her own children she actually chose to stop serving children because the kids that she was serving up in Bayside, mm. um, up in the Bay, because she was in Moran, but then, you know, they have that little corner called Bayside and that's mm-hmm. like our version of the hood, you know, in the middle of a fluent neighborhood. Right. She was an older Caucasian woman and she was super down to earth, but she said that she had a hard time because of the, I'm going to say level of neglect, because I worked with those kids too, level of neglect and things that were happening in those communities. She couldn't take off her mom hat. So she's so happy that when she was in school, she learned how to work with a diverse group of population, you know, people. Yeah. She was easily able to transition and work with only adults. And then when her yeah. kids became adults, then she went back to working with kids, you know. So yeah. that, that's that's awesome. So fast forward, you went through school, clearly you yeah. did a job, and then you got licensed. And so speed us up to the point where you got licensed and then you started to figure out who you wanted to serve, like how, what was that route? So even before I got licensed in my mind, I knew that I was going to, I wanted to work in my community and I wanted to work in my mind. I wanted to work with kids as well. And then in my grad program, I started working with kids and I was like, I don't know if this is my ministry. So um, When I moved back to California and back to Oakland, I was like, I still want to do community work. I feel like I can work with older kids, um, not necessarily the littles. I think those who work with littles should definitely do that. Like that feel really passionate about it because it's needed. And I just knew that as far as like my patience and how I communicate, I needed to be able to be very like effective. I mean, like communicate just like this (laughs) versus trying to find ways to navigate language. And so I um, went into community nonprofit work and that was very challenging because it was a conflict between what they said they were about and what they were actually about. And I couldn't, I couldn't resonate or I couldn't make it make sense to me. So I worked there for almost three years and I was pre-licensure. So I was able to get a lot of my um, 3000 hours from them. And it was a powerful experience as far as like working with families of color, mostly black families, um, black youth who were in the probation system, um, in the foster system or a combination of both. And just seeing how the, I call it the injustice system, like really impacts families as a whole. 
and these youth who are already like in this space of recidivism, like they're just going back and forth to juvenile hall. And I remember going to juvenile hall for the first time. And once I left, I bawled, like I was crying. I was like, I don't understand how people do this on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So um, when I couldn't make it make sense to me anymore, I decided to leave that job. And that was 2017. And I told myself that you need to go somewhere where your heart can mend for a little while. I went to another job for about six months and it was working at a middle school. And I was like, um, absolutely not. Your ministry and, I didn't know again. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't know it was a middle school at first. And then oh, okay. um, that was my placement. So I was like, okay, so we are going to start the school year, but we are not finishing the school year here. <laughs> and I ended up um, working at UC Berkeley and I was able to, in, in between that, get licensed in California. And upon receiving this job, it was like a dream job where I was creating this position to help student leaders of color on campus. And it was amazing as far as the students are concerned. I was so enthralled by them, but the the system as a whole didn't necessarily um, like my value did my values didn't match those either. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nice. So I know that you like you're currently in Texas. Um, You're from California. And so um, I know that when we met in 2019, I didn't know it until you were in the uh, academy program. <laughs> you were in the midst of moving. And so can you talk about what it was like to even make a decision to take a leap and bet on yourself um, and uproot a fresh practice <laughs> into another state and do something before this great era that we live in now, which is do virtual services? Yes. Um, so 2019, I had I was working at Cal at that time and something just wasn't fitting right with me like living in Oakland I love Oakland love being there love the bay like my family is there but that also was the the conflict was that I felt so pulled in so many different areas like emotionally mentally physically like I just couldn't catch a break um I was trying to take moments to travel and do other things but It just wasn't enough to satiate. And so I ended up visiting my cousin here in Houston a few times. And even after the first visit, I was like, that was one of the most like relaxing experiences. And we're not even talking about like a four star, five star resort type of thing. It was like I stayed at her house on the couch and I felt so comfortable she let me use her car to explore the city. I was I was moving like I lived here already. <laughs> and it just felt right. It felt right to explore something that felt really scary to think about because I just knew I was going to stay in Oakland for probably the rest of my life and because I hate moving too. And then, um, yeah, those visits, I feel like opened my eyes to the possibility of something else. And when I... I was talking with a colleague and her name is Mikhail. She is amazing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, where does your heart call to? Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I feel lost. I feel like ungrounded. I'm just, I'm so disorganized and I feel like I'm not doing a good job. 
I need to, I need something different. And so she was like, where does your heart call to? Mm -hmm. That question has sparked so many things, but it really explored the opportunity. It really sparked the foundation for, Mm -hmm. I was like Houston. Yeah. That was the first place that came to mind without even thinking. Um, Houston was the first place that came to mind. So I decided to go ahead and take a leap. And I knew that um, I wanted to work in private practice. I didn't want to work for anybody anymore because those the values that folks stand for or what they say they stand for, what they actually do, those things conflicting just really didn't sit right in my spirit anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, so then what can it look like to do it myself? Like be my own boss, mm-hmm. like really do this for the community, you know, make it a practice for folks of color, like an ode to them. And healing through authenticity came from that. I didn't have the the name of it yet until I joined the academy uh-huh. and you happen to come across my feed as I was in this space of like, I'm about to make this really big change. And then here comes Dr. TK, like, okay, so this is what's going on. I said, that looks like me. <laughs> I like her, like her vibe. It's it giving me very much like, you know, similarities. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. That is funny. <laughs> So yeah, like it felt so like ordained everything. It was like, I had made this really big declaration in my mind. You came across my feed. I was like, how do I make these things happen? And I said, I'm going completely remote because I don't want to pay rent. Yes, I don't want to, um, I don't want to have to deal with having people come in my space all the time. Like my energy gets impacted by other people's energy. Uh-huh. I know that. So I decided I would want to just work from my home. And yeah, I went from like working in my one bedroom apartment and this I little- remember. I remember your first apartment when you turned on your camera, you were like, I'm in Texas. <laughs> this little area to having a whole office in an apartment that, I mean, I love. <laughs> it's interesting that you, the way that you described it, I mean- most people who may study it, it's, you know, I think about laws of attraction and manifestation, but yes. where things really unfolded for you, it sounds like, is when you made the decision. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I'm talking to just therapists that run across my feed, you know, they're like, how did you do this? How did you do that? I said, oh, I made the decision. And that was probably the hardest decision that I had to sit down and make is making the decision. And they were like, that just sounds so easy. I said, it can be, but it, it's a it's a process. <laughs> but it's it, what, what I mean by it can be is that everybody's so focused on strategies of how to have profitability and all these big things. And I'm like, it really starts with you having faith and simply one following the seeds that all have already been planted. Like the seeds that were being planted was from you finding yourself, you mm-hmm. know, because think about um, like I think about harvesting. I actually just published a podcast this morning about like, yeah. you know, Things are being um, placed in your favor. I did one for last month. Yeah. And it's just crazy how things just start to fall together. And then you look back like, 
oh, well, I was lost for a reason because I would have never found this. Because if I wasn't lost, I wouldn't have known to go talk to this person and they wouldn't have been able to pour into me because I would have had a barrier up like, nope, I'm poli sci. You can't talk nothing into me, teacher, social, right. social like, you know. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to bring that all together because I think, you know, humans were so focused on checklists and we don't actually take out time to even look at how do I want my energetic flow to be set up in my office? Right. You were the only one in our cohort of, I think our first cohort was 12. You were the only one doing telehealth and everybody was so fascinated. Like, girl, are you sure? Sh- are you sure? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you were yeah. confident in saying yes. And then I remember you came back like two cohorts later. Cause I, what I did for the viewers and listeners, when I first had my first cohort, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I just knew that I had a, a, I had something to give, you know what I'm saying? Like this, this was normal. And then people started asking more. And then I decided to offer it the following July, but then COVID happened and I pushed it up. But what I did is I reached out to the alumni because then I decided, you know what? They should be able to come back. That was a lot of information. I want them to be able to apply the information. And I also want to see what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? I see them online and stuff. So when I invited you back, that's when you had announced that, yes, we knew that you were um, licensed in both states, but then you made like a miraculous announcement like, oh, I'm full. I'm like, you full what? You were like, my caseload is full. And I really just wanted to commend you because here we are in a tail end of a, you know, two year pandemic situation and people were in fear of just splitting their time and going online. You did it when there was nothing to push you into fear, which to me is more fearful because you had to make that decision, Mm -hmm. you know? So I want to commend you of being able to follow your heart and go with your gut and actually make that move because that was your best move. You know what I'm saying? It was. It still feels like I can't believe it's happened. (laughs) And I remember having other people express their fear to me about like, Uh am I sure? Are you sure that's going to work? Because it it wasn't just like the cohort. It was also like my grandmother who, you know, was very much a boss in her own right. And so the idea that I would be going and not having a plan as far as a job or something already lined up. And I had actually applied for some jobs before I left because I was like, well, if this don't work out, like I need to have something to die. But I, then I was like, look for jobs anymore. I don't want to work for anybody. And I know that. So I'm not going to apply. And I, I need you to believe in me the way I believe in myself, mm-hmm. which is that this is going to happen and it's going to be abundant like that was the word that kept coming up was abundance 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 and I think that was even my word for the year I was like oh we're getting abundant yeah <laughs> and then it kept like we kept talking about it in um in the cohort as well like what does abundance look like and what can it look like what can it feel like so those things were helpful to flesh out and to be able to honor that yeah like I, I feel so blessed in that to mm-hmm. be able to follow that instinct Versus yeah. allowing other people's fear and concerns drive me away from what I knew I could do. Mm-hmm. And that statement within himself, that, that statement within itself, and I'm so glad that you eloquently described that process of having to block other people's views about what you should do, because we are still in a, in a, in a day and in an age where we are living amongst baby boomers, but we're also living amongst peers that have mm-hmm. taken on the mindset of baby boomers and they don't see any other way out. And you and I and everybody else who have went above that mindset 
also have to make the decision that even though grandma or mom or cousin, that's how you think we should live is go find a job because we got to move out of state and get benefits and all those things. Something inside of me is saying that that's not my calling. And I think one of the hardest parts is you sometimes can't even explain what you just explained to us on this podcast because people will get offended because then you're going against the grain. You're going against what we've all been taught. Like you're wrong. You're going to fail, <laughs> you know? And so right. that we talk about like share, do not share your big dreams with small-minded people. And unfortunately, some of those small-minded people are the people that's closest to us or live in our house. Right. I agree with that. And I think too, to also make space for people only know what they know. Yes. And so if they are only familiar with one kind of way of getting money or doing something specific, the idea of doing it a different way feels scary. And it's like, it also feels scary to me too. Like the idea that I would be doing something that nobody else has done mm-hmm. is like, it, it's not a easy path to walk, but it also is a necessary one. Right. And it's abnormal to them. Yeah. So let's talk about current day. Who are you serving in your practice right now? Yeah, so I have an amazing array of clients, um, most of which are, well, all of them are folks of color, range in socioeconomic status and um, gender presentation and orientation and all of which really speaks to the authenticity within like how I carry myself, but mm-hmm. also like the hope in that they will be able to do the same or do do that as well. And yeah, like I, I feel like I look at my client list sometimes and I'm just like, wow, I'm so grateful that you've crossed my path, yes. right? I feel like even the ones that feel challenging in the moment, sometimes I can come back around and go, wow, they really pushed me as a therapist to think about something different. And so we talk about a range of things from anxiety and depression and how those things are connected most of the time, how, you know, work-life balance, the stressors of isms and all the ways in which like we're trying to navigate who we are in a society that is not always kind to folks who look like us and who, you know, live the lives that we lead. So yeah, yeah my clients are pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. How do, um, we, we live in a time where like black mental health, let's just put it out there, is at an mm-hmm. all time high. And, you know, on one hand, yes, what happened last year, right now, it's not pretty. But at the same time, from the mental health perspective, it finally broke a brick wall, per se, with the Black population, which is showing that you can't funnel these levels of emotions that you have inside all by yourself or you're going to break. And a lot of people broke, even outside the Black community. But I'm saying specifically Black mental health because in our DTA community, it's not a golden rule that, you know, it's only for Black clinicians, but in social psychology, we speak about, you know, you you get attracted to what you know and what's comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just the fact of the matter. And so what tends to happen is a person like myself running across your screen. And then, of course, I'm authentic to myself. You know, I, I'm, I'm right. me, but also switching on. I'm a professional as well. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, that resonates with a lot of people the same way that our clients resonate with us. And so what has it been like to attract people who look like you 
Because some therapists have a hard time. Like, you know, do I only want to work with Black people? And then some people are like, no, I only want to work, you know, with Black people. So, like. Yeah, I think that um, that's a really great question. Um, I think the authenticity piece is something that I was a journey for me. And so in 2019, that was like, oh, no, I am not. I'm no longer placating anyone or anything. If you remember me stepping into DTA, I was like, I definitely don't want to work for nobody no more. And I don't want to like... <laughs> I do not want to um, I don't want to co-switch and I don't want to um do all of those things because I think there's an idea of what professionalism looks like and I think there's a way to be colloquial and professional and really stand for your values without it having to look or sound a specific kind of way. So that was something that I felt already. I felt like it was really emphasized in DTA, especially to begin with. So there's that. And then um, as far as like having this practice and attracting the folks whom really like are my client avatar, my niche, I think is exactly what we spoke about to begin with was speak to those folks. Like they have had a similar experience or you're familiar with what has gone on with them. Speak to that. And so I was like, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense versus like, I'm going to work with everybody. Right. I can't work with everybody. Tell so <laughs> the people how you spell folks because when I first saw it, I was like, okay, got your own language. Spell folks folks. Yeah. Yeah. F-O-L-X. <laughs> and so, yeah, it is like, you know, the goal was for me to support in dispelling the myth that mental health is not important in communities of color. That is my tagline. I will stand behind that. I stand on that. Like that w- that's the hill that I'm going to live and die on. Cause I feel like, you know, there's a constant need to uh, unpack the fact that mental health is taboo. It's not like it impacts us just the way physical you know, emotional health, like all these different ways in which we will go to a doctor to take care of, or we'll go to a chiropractor to make sure we're good. Like all the ways in which we take care of other things, mental health should also be on that same plane. Mm-hmm. That is so, so good. I'm like, dang, now I want to drop this episode like in my church because my bishop just <laughs> uh, he moved to Texas uh, this year. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. my gosh. Yeah, they're out there deep, deep. And, um, but what we did this year is we like in the spirituality, realm, they allowed me in our Facebook group even to talk about mental health because, you know, within the church, that's also another layer as to why maybe a group of people may not want to go seek someone outside of the church. And so I'm glad that you're talking about this and also speaking from a perspective from a therapist as to why we want to serve and why we want to educate people who look like us, because we know that this is not taught, you know, in terms of the importance of mental health, it probably will be in the next four to five years considering what's been happening, but it's yeah. unfortunate that it always has to be taught as it relates to a tragic event, not just right. you need to be healthy, just like you take care of your physical health in biology class, you need to take care of your mental health in a psychology class, you know, that would right. be great. So, but we also don't talk about the biopsychosocial pieces, right? Like if right. one thing is not working, like there's things that are impacted as a result. And so like, if your body is not feeling good, sometimes your mental health is also impacted by that and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you are feeling anxious, overwhelmed, stressed, Mm -hmm. and your body starts to have the responses. So 
like being able to connect those things versus dismissing them is really important. Well, what we do, and I say we, because I remember being in an MFT class and it was like on cultural competency. And we read about particular groups of people like cultures who somaticize more than others. And I remember the number one somaticize based off research group was Hispanic. And then it was Indian. And then it was African-American. And for the listeners and viewers, what that means is that you would dismiss being anxious, but you wouldn't dismiss feeling not okay. What you would do instead is you would go to the doctor and say, I think I have the stomach flu. I think that I'm about to faint. I think I'm having a heart attack when it's a panic attack. You know what I'm saying? And, and then when someone tells you, oh no, you just had a panic attack. Do you want to talk to a therapist? A therapist for what? Just give me some pills. Give me some right. oxygen. You know? And so what we're saying is take a look at your entire world. And that's what we look at it is from a perspective of bio, your body, genetics, hereditary, physiology, then your psychology. How are you thinking about your world? Um, Are you feeling like the world is against you or are things working for you in your favor? Um, And then also um, your social environment. How are people, circles of influence, your family, what they say to you or at you? How is that influencing yourself? We have, and this is why therapists ask, because I do have to say this, because they're like, why y'all ask so many questions? Why are you asking me about my family history? This ain't the medical doctor. Well, guess what? We're under the medical umbrella. And I think that last year shed the light on that the most is that we are under the medical umbrella. And hence, this is why, (laughs) you know? So um, as we move into the last part of the podcast, um, I know that we have a lot of therapists listening, whether they're graduate students, pre-licensed or licensed. And so we've been talking about this whole DTA thing. We hinted on the mastermind as a business owner and taking that leap of betting on yourself. Why do you believe at the time that you did it, that it was important for you to invest in yourself? Well, I have to be honest. I was not ready to come up off that money. Yeah, no, Ooh, that's I was that. where like the conversations are. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, but I also had this like sinking feeling that if I didn't, I would be stuck in the cycle that I was in because I was trying to do it all myself. Mm. So one of the things that you recently sent us via text message was like, are you going to consistently do this like painfully by mm. yourself versus paying to have it done for you or like for you to be more knowledgeable? And I was like, Oh yeah, somebody had texted me back and was like, huh? I don't like I don't think they read the whole message because in the middle, I think I said like stop paying ignorance tax on one of them. Yes. And somebody was like, yes. what? And I described what that meant. Ignorance is just a definition of you don't know. But you know, in a yeah. black culture, you know, when our grandparents may have said that, it looks it's not like a curse word, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, okay, but I was also when you read it, it was like and when you all put it everything in context, like, I was like, that's actually really that's an intelligent <laughs> statement there. But <laughs> I think it's true. It's like you you don't necessarily want to come up off the money to pay to like have somebody teach you, coach you, take time. But also like it takes so much more energy and time trying to piecemeal things together when you can have it all in one spot. And so for me, when I had um, sat in a, I think I, I think it was a mastermind that you had given. I think it was like an hour. I was doing master like classes for webinars. Yeah. 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 So I sat in, in that meeting and I remember sitting there contemplating for another like 30 minutes afterwards. And I was like, why is this sitting with me so heavy? <laughs> and, and why, 
why am I about to jump into this situation? <laughs> but but really though, I was like, no, I really I appreciated what you had to offer. It was like very formatted in the way that made sense for me to come into. And I was like, if I'm going to move myself forward, I can't continue to do the same things I was doing and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. That's the definition of insanity. It doesn't work. And I also know that I'm trying to get this from here, this from here and do this here. And so ultimately I'm still paying for those things, you know, even if it's a few dollars here and there. So I'm paying for that and not getting everything I need versus like going into a space that was a little more expensive, but also was realistic in all the ways that I can prepare myself for. Well, you're also ready. Time. So I want to bring that up. Yeah. I think that a lot of times we don't understand how you just explained it of piecemealing. When I tell therapists, like in those boot camps now, I say, I want you to do a time audit. And I want you to look at all the time that you're looking for answers. And then I want you to look at how much do you currently charge or you should be charging, at least for individual therapy right now. So some people may say, you know, I may charge 85, but I really should be charging like 150. I'm playing myself. You know what I'm saying? So let's do the 150. If you're spending five hours on YouTube podcasts or Google and they're they're giving you information, but now you're like, I got 20 things and I still don't know where to start, which one go first now. Now you've still wasted five hours times $150. That's almost $800. And so would you rather pay $800 or whatever the amount is of the program with giving you everything in a shorter period of time? And for my program, you had the ability in the middle of a move. I think this is really key. I'm going to highlight it. You told us you would be off for a week. So you were investing in a program that still gave you an investment in your return because you were able to watch the replay of the sessions. You were still able to um, send in a question if you had one, even though you were moving. And then we also invited you to come back to another cohort so that you can actually apply what you consumed, because I know everybody's not going to apply all that information in a short time frame. That within itself of being able to come back and repeat the same structure and be around like-minded people, circles of influence, is like triple your investment. But sometimes we don't see that in the beginning. We just see a dollar sign and, and put it in my credit card. Right. I mean, and since then, like, I've been able to increase my numbers. I've been able to increase my fees. I've been able to think about the process. Speak speak on that because (laughs) a lot of therapists in my program now have been asking for that. And they were like, you know, are you going to tell us how to increase our fees? And I tell them yes and no. Yes, I will motivate you. Yes, I will ask you what your value is. No, I will not tell you what your price point is because I don't know what you believe your value is, but I know that you're valuable. So you don't have to disclose pricing, but what what was it like in that, uh, it was like three-day time frame. <laughs> uh, remember, we talked about laws of attraction. What was it like mm-hmm. to sit in it? Because now we're in a mastermind. What was it like to have a one-on-one session? Yeah. Us do our thing together, you know, conspire with our magic. And yeah. then you have an aha moment and then something magical happened within like 48 hours or something. Yeah. So, well, you know, in the beginning, I was still, I was not charging what I felt like I should be charging. So it took me a good while to actually make the first like increase in the business. I think we had talked about it for months and I was like, but I don't want to lose clients as a result, or I don't know if people are going to pay this because 
blah, blah, blah. And you are like, you're sitting in a poverty mindset and it's not helping you. And so, yeah, like, stop. I'm going to do like, it like that. Yeah. Like, really talk. Can you stop? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to increase it to this. And you were like, okay, that's better than what you were doing. I was like, okay. And then um, I had had a conversation. So the one thing a part of DTA uh, later on was that you had us go into DTA, like groups. Mm-hmm. We are in accountability groups. And so even out of DTA, I've still been with my same accountability group. We still meet on a weekly basis. They are amazing. Awesome. And they were also, I was like, I feel like I need to increase again. Actually, no. Dr. Erica said, <laughs> so when you increase it? <laughs> Like yesterday. Okay, so like right now, like I need to do it right now. Um, And then I had my one on one with you, and I was like, "Well, this kind of got brought up that I might need to increase again." And you said, "Okay, so when you doing it? Okay, today? That was today. (laughs) Gonna do it today." So um, within making the declaration that it was going to be that price, and I'm not gonna move on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do sliding scale anymore. I'm not going to do the other things. Um, within that short amount of time, I think I had uh, at least one client come on with no problem. Like, within 48 hours, I got to tell you. But I was like, I was jumping for joy. And I, I, I actually played it for the team. I said, now listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> when you yeah, was like, we, got, we got off that call. I uh, changed my, and this is the thing about fast action and I appreciate about you is that you're like, okay, so what's your fast action? What can you do right now? And I was like, I guess I can change my uh, <laughs> my forms. Once I declared on my forms that this is what it was going to be, I got, I was, I already had the consultation scheduled, I think. And I said my price didn't even bat an eye mm-hmm. at the price. And that was my first, like, this is my big girl price, you know, <laughs> client. And yeah, that amazing. Awesome. I also want to like, I'm going to sneak this in here because sometimes, you know, this is the best part about being a therapist, I, I, I believe, is that we have the skill set to take it into other arenas in our business. Yeah. And one of the things I actually love, because I work a lot with teens and families, is I love doing role plays or like role reversal. <laughs> So one of the things that we did is that we did in that session talk about what are your fears? Because I'm not going to minimize that. Like what is standing in your way? I don't want to just send you out there. And so we talked about objections and we did like many role plays because I'm like, I think you said the number. And I said, yeah, say it again and say it again, because I needed you to feel confident when saying it. And I think that that plays a role when we practice what our gifts are and speaking our value to other clients. It makes it easier. So what I'm really saying to therapists who are listening, you know, you can listen to all these podcasts as you want and please to, but you should be practicing behind the scenes of how you're going to deliver epic services to your clients, practicing your craft of being an EMDR therapist. Don't just get certified and stop reading books and going to workshops. You should be continuing these things to stand, you know? So I want to thank you for sharing that because that, I think what you just brought up today outside of like the epic services that you do in mental health, but specifically for therapists is the main two reasons why therapists are not growing at the pace I know that they can. It's not that they won't grow. They're just taking 10 years to do it. Is that they are 
surrounding themselves potentially around the wrong people or allowing the wrong people to pour into them. So they're stopping them. Um, you also brought up that you can own your time and you can own your decisions for where you want your life to go and your career to go. So you took ownership of if I want to take fast action and fast pace and this person didn't come across my feed for no reason, just like that counselor didn't steal me to apply to UC Berkeley. Right. I got the nudge for 30 minutes. My intuition is telling me to make the move. And sometimes we have to listen to our intuition versus our limiting thoughts. And that's a hard decision, but it has to be made, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yes. So what are some of the things that you have? I know you have one big thing coming up. Can you tell our listeners and viewers a new branch that has been birthed in your business that is going to be awesome, but I think it deserves a space to educate people on the benefits of it? Yes. So um, I recently had bariatric surgery, which is also considered weight loss surgery. Um, I have the gastric sleeve and um, it's because I was having some really tough health concerns and issues that were not going away. And it was, I tried a little bit of everything, fad diets, this, that, and a third. And it was so overwhelming to try to figure it out by myself. And I decided to really, again, take another chance on myself to extend my life. And I know that some folks find surgeries like this to be pretty taboo as well. Like it's the easy way out or it's not something that's beneficial to our communities. And with diabetes and high blood pressure and things like that, like disproportionately affecting us, like sometimes a, a radical decision, like a weight loss surgery is, you know, key. And it has been for me, like I'm no longer on diabetes medication. Um, I'm still managing my high blood pressure, but I've lost about 100 pounds since my consultation in April. And so my goal is to support other folks who are preparing for their journey. So the the whole point, I was sitting in a meeting for my bariatric, like afterwards, post-care. And it was a lot of folks expressing some really hard conversations that they hadn't had with anybody else. And they were having it within this really big group. And I was like, what could it look like for me to offer space to discuss like concerns that may come up, successes, tools, tips, and tricks to be able to like manage this really scary time. And um, so as a result, I started working on a workbook and I'm going to be offering a preparation for bariatric surgery group that allows folks to come and um, it's five weeks you get the workbook as a result of that so that you can work on what is your why. We're working on a shift, a mindset shift, but also a shift in the things around you, the biopsychosocial pieces. Um, and so just wanting to facilitate a conversation and build community around this really epic journey. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you have taken the time out to look at what is needed. Because when we look at our community and then also being able to provide a service to the community, as business owners who create things, we want to make sure that that even if people don't know they need it, that we provide that space. And I yeah. really love how you explained it because truth be told, and we've discussed this, most people only know about post-bariatric help, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've done bariatric surgery evaluations myself, but neither have I heard about outside of us recommending therapy before mm -hmm. is that people have a safe space 
to just talk about what this journey is going to do for them and how it is going to transform not just their life, but people around them. Because I've had clients where that scared them. If they've been, one young lady said, if if I've been this size all my life, Mm. it wasn't until I did the evaluation with you, like a, a psych eval that I realized I'm taking on an entire new identity Cause I'm literally, cause she laughed. She was like, I'm gonna be half of me, literally, you know? And, yeah. and people around me even accept that because that may trigger some people if they are used to, or maybe want you to look a certain way for various mm-hmm. reasons. So I commend you for offering that. And I really want to get the word out about this because there's a lot of surgeries that are happening, you know what I'm saying? But unfortunately, a lot of people are not screened. They don't have to be screened and they just believe that also doing the surgery will solve also the underlying problems that have nothing to do with the surgery, <laughs> you know, not at all. <laughs> yes. There's so many things that get brought up. Yeah. So many things that get brought up as a result of like, you're making a really big change and it, it happens on all the different levels. So not just physically, but it's also emotional, spiritual, physical. It's, it, it really touches it all. Yes. Yes. So how can people um, contact you? Because I know you'll be coming out with this group. You have the workbook in combination with that. So regardless if they they hear this at the time of the airing of this podcast and or later, where can they go find out more about you? Yes. So I am on Instagram at healing through authenticity and I'm on Facebook as well with the same moniker so healing through authenticity and my website amberboytherapy.com yes so we'll make sure to link all of her information down below make sure you go check her out tell her how you enjoyed this podcast and as we have mentioned with these great text messages i'm sending mental health therapists to either wake them up or get them moving if you want to stay connected um where you will hear more podcasts like amber's and the story and the journey and the things that she's doing in the community make sure that you check out the show notes you can text the word abundance to 310-388-8603 and you will automatically get daily affirmations monday through Friday. And you will also hear about special things that are happening within the mental health business community way before Instagram or my email list does. So I really hope that you've enjoyed this information. Share this with a therapist or a person that needs to hear Amber's message and all the nuggets (laughs) that she had to share. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.